So as we said earlier, uh, today is the second week of Advent, and we lit the love candle. The love candle. And then, you know, that's a word that gets thrown around a lot, but we're going to see what the scriptures say about love. And I'm thankful that the scriptures' definition of love is actually an action. So it's actually something that, that is done, not something you can hold theoretically in your mind and say, I know what this is. It's something that must be done. And this Advent season, we are focusing on the idea that because Christ is with us today, uh, that not only are these themes of hope, love, joy, and peace concepts to be pondered in our minds, but they're present realities that we get to participate in because they are, uh, they are inspired by and enlivened by the Spirit of Christ that's with the church. And every person that trusts in Jesus has the Holy Spirit, a down payment guaranteeing our inheritance, and, and these things are present realities. So we no longer say, Jesus did this, but we say, Jesus did this, and he continues to do it. He continues to do it. And, uh, and that is an amazing thing about being a believer, that we are, uh, Jesus said, it's better for you guys if I leave, because if I leave, I will send my spirit, and there will, it will be like Jesus is walking with each believer, with each church. Uh, so it's an amazing thing. Hope, love, joy, and peace. They are not concepts. They are, they are present realities that we currently possess with the presence of Christ among us. In Matthew 1, and 23, it quotes Isaiah 7, 14, where it says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God has proven to us he, he is not far from anyone who is looking for him in Christ. Christ is with us this morning. And for that reason, Christ's love is here in this place by his spirit um, to save, to redeem, to give life to anyone that will turn to him. Love is, is the biggest idea about God in the Bible. It's the context of, every, of all of God's action. God says that love is who he is in 1 John 4.8. And the greatest command God has given us, according to the direct word of God himself, is to love. An interesting feature of love is, like I said, that it's defined by our actions, by what we do, not by a dictionary. In Matthew 22:36-40, Jesus was asked, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, along with uh, the, the best rabbis of his day, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love the Lord your God, found in, in Deuteronomy 6.5. Love your neighbor as yourself, found in Leviticus 19.18. All the law, Jesus says, hang on these two commands. He says, if you really love God with your whole being and love your neighbor as yourself, you'll fulfill it all. Love for God, connecting to God upwardly in worship. Loving him with our lives, with everything that we are, and allowing him to transform us so we can then go outward and share his love with others. In 1 John 4, 7-12, we find one of the clearer teachings about the love of God in the Bible. 
Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Love, the embodiment of all that God is and all Christ is. You may have heard the story of, Pastor Soper reminded me of this story of, of, of John who wrote this, these words. And apparently all of his sermons were about loving God and loving other people to the point that his, that his young uh, disciples in the, in, the, in the first century church got very sick of the message and said, okay, we've, you've talked about love all this time. Can we move on to deeper, better lessons? And he said, if you, if you learn and do this one thing, it is enough. That's what John said. John was well acquainted with the love of Jesus. He was the, the disciple that Jesus loved, according to John. <laughs> Which is very suspicious. The book that John writes, he, he says, I'm the one that Jesus loved. Which I always find to be charming, thinking about that. But the, the fact is, the man understood what it meant to be loved by Jesus and to love Jesus. And he said to his disciples over and over again, if you do this thing, it will be enough. Love God and love others. In this passage in 1 John 4, 7, starts out saying, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Now this is not as much a command as it is like a loaded, strong invitation. He's saying, friends, let us love one another, because love comes from God. When we love one another, we experience God's presence. It goes on to say, Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. We see here that people that do not love as God defines love do not really know God. Another push to get in touch with what God means by love. And finally, in 1 John 4, we get the definition of what love is according to God himself. It is something like what God did for us in sending his son Jesus to live and provide an example to us and then to die on the cross for our sins so that we could live. That's how love is defined by God says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might love, live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is how God defines love. 
To love, then, is to put aside our rights and our privileges, whatever those might be, in order to elevate other people. And this love is motivated by God's great example of love towards us in Christ. Let's talk about what God did in Christ for a minute. Let's not gloss over this as we are allowing Jesus to define love. Think about this. God emptied himself of his rights and privileges as God when he came as the Son, Jesus Christ. And if you wonder if this teaching is found in the Bible, look no further than Philippians 2. It shares all of these thoughts in a very beautiful and poetic way. But God emptied himself of his rights and privileges as God when he came as the Son, Jesus Christ. And every stroke of the pen in the beginning of the book of Luke and throughout the gospel is God defining for us what he considers love to be. Because God is love, the love he showed is far greater than anything we could possibly express. But it shows us the potential of what is possible underneath the umbrella of love. God coming in Christ is, 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 um, is the, this huge example under which all of our attempts at loving God and loving other people are are shooting for, right? And never hitting. I'm, I'm very into music. Those who know me, I'm, I'm very into playing mandolin. That's a big passion of mine. And I have seen uh, an artist named Chris Thiele play three times live in my life, anytime I can see him. One of those times, I went with my sister to the University of Albany, and he performed in their auditorium by himself on mandolin playing Bach cello music that he had transcribed to be played on the mandolin. First person to do that uh, for, for mandolin. It was unlike anything. It was unreal. Look up Chris Thiele plays, playing Bach cello live on YouTube. You'll see an example of something that none of us will hit in our lifetime. And it could be that no one will ever play the, the, the mandolin as well as Chris Thiele. I would almost bet my life on it. <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. It's so inspiring. It's so beautiful. And uh, just when you think he can't get any more talented than he is, he, he, he takes it up another level and does something completely different. Not only is his creativity astounding and his original music, but, uh, but his skill, his technical ability is just off the charts. No one can touch Chris Thiele. He won the MacArthur Genius Grant several years ago, and a million-dollar grant to just play music and write music. He now hosts the, the former Prairie Home Companion on NPR uh, on Saturday nights. Pl- that's a plug, I guess. Hopefully, hopefully that's okay with you guys. Oh, yeah. There it is. The technique is incredible. If you play mandolin, you know it's one of the hardest things to get the technique right. But that's, that's Chris Thiele. He defines what it means to be a mandolin player. His ability is not possible for anyone but him at this point in history. But he shows us what the instrument can do by giving an example. And that is what God did through Christ. He provided the largest, most thorough example of what is possible in love. We're never going to hit what God did when he came as Christ. But we can shoot for it. We can be inspired by what he did. No one can empty out as much as God emptied out. When he went from being an all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing, all-creating spirit to being born of an extremely poor, 
unmarried woman in a cave where animals ate and relieved themselves. That's a pretty big jump, I'd say. Coming as a baby with the same cognitive and spatial limitations as all babies are born with. You know, Jesus wasn't born walking like a baby horse. He, he was a baby. He had to develop like everybody else. No one can empty out as much as God did when he came as Christ the Son, who, though he was God, did not use his divine authority to his own advantage. But he leveraged all of his authority to love people and to elevate people by becoming a servant of all people and eventually dying for the sins of the world that he loved. The ultimate act of servanthood, elevating people to something they could never earn on their own, salvation. But look at him through the Gospels, Jesus elevating people uh, to people that were downtrodden. No one can outdo what God did when he came as Christ the Son. No one can empty out as much as God did when he came as Christ, the Son, who became obedient to God's plan for a death on a criminal's cross so that our sins could be covered and forgotten by God. And we could live in uninterrupted fellowship with him. No one can outdo that. That's love. No one can empty out as much as God did when he came as Christ, the Son. But now that we've seen a living example of love that we could never match in scope, depth, or breadth, we can all follow his ultimate example of serving others in extreme ways so that they can live better and come to know the good news of the atoning love of Jesus Christ the Son, the covering love of Jesus Christ the Son. We can all empty ourselves of our pride and our various places of honor in this world, our various types of privilege, and give ourselves to others so that they can live more fully. We can all divest some of our precious time and resources for the good of other people. We can all take a lower seat at the table and make the poorest stranger our guest of honor. We can do that. We can even humble ourselves because of Christ's example to love people who we find unlovable, who we have a hard time with, because God loves us, and we're not always the most lovable. But God, God gave everything for us. We can, we can all surrender our need to be right all the time, to be vindicated, to be in control of everything and submit to God and to other people who we may believe are less qualified than us. <laughs> we can all do this, and it would still not come close to hitting the mark of God's love coming as a, as a, as a child. And this is possible because God first loved us in a far greater way, serving humankind to the point of his death on a cross. That's God. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another, says John. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. I think remembering what the love of God is and what, what God has done for us can be something that guides our everyday lives and how we treat other people, interact with people, and how we choose to elevate other people instead of elevating ourselves. No one will ever match God's example 
but we can follow his example and we can, we can go towards it. The striking feature of Advent then for me this morning is the reality that love comes from God first. Love comes from God, says John 4-7. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. And this is another way of stating the first part of our vision statement as a church, that we go upward. You know, we, we love God first. Allow him to, to go inward, transforming us, and then outward in loving other people with the love of Christ. And the reason it has to be in that order is quite clear, because love comes from God. We have to go to God first. And everything else we might do in our lives as Christ followers begins with loving God. And it's the first half of God's greatest command. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And the second half, to love your neighbor as yourself, upward, inward, outward. And to those who go upward, God is revealed to be near to them and even sometimes revealing the secrets of heaven to them, people that really seek after God. I was struck this week as those who came to our worship service on Wednesday know, by the story of Simeon and Anna in Luke 2, 22 to 40. Here's two people who really got loving God in, in, a, in a deep way. So Jesus' parents are presenting him at the temple as a child, the eighth day. It says in verse uh, Luke 2, 21, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the law, time of purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. I'm just so blown away by this story of two people that just loved God and got, to, got the inside edge of what God was doing in sending Jesus. Simeon, this older man at the temple, 
as he served God in the temple, the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would not die until he'd seen the Messiah. And Simeon takes Jesus in his arms and praises God, saying, Master, now that you are dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Having seen the Messiah, Simeon is now prepared to die. He was, he was a man who, who was called righteous and devout, and he was a man who was waiting for God's plan of redemption to be revealed. And the, for this older gentleman, the Holy Spirit told him to come to the temple that day, and the Holy Spirit told him what God would do, and he prophesied, I have seen your salvation. And then he prophesied that Jesus would, would be crucified and the sword would pierce the heart of Mary. There's also this woman, Anna, who, who loved God well. After being widowed, after seven years of marriage, she, she seems to have practically lived in the temple just seeking after the Lord and fasting and praying. And she never left the temple but worshiped day and night. Um, and then she came up to them and prophesied to everyone around, this is the Messiah that God sent. Amazing examples of people that loved God, were seeking after him, and, were, and the secrets of heaven were revealed to them. So what does the advent of God's love mean for us uh, today? What could it mean for us in this coming year? It could look like moving towards the goal, the um, perfect bullseye that God sent in sending his son uh, for us for shooting for that, uh, by loving, moving towards loving God with all of our heart, soul, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Our relationship with God is not opposed to us making an effort to draw near to God. In fact, it says in James 4.8, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. That's the way that God has made for us to draw near to him. Our relationship with God is not opposed to that effort to draw near to God. And for people like Simeon and Anna, they got loving God right and they got, they got revealed the secrets of heaven and they declared to the people around them the truth about Jesus. So in the coming year, to move towards this, this ideal that God set for us of loving him upward and then loving other people outward, I am calling our church family to fast for the first three weeks of the new year. This could be, this is something we've done every, every year for the last three years. And this is one of the ways that we go upward in our relationship with God in order to draw near to him. Simeon and Anna spent a lot of time in God's temple, uh, worshiping him, and Anna fasted and prayed regularly in order to express her love for God. And uh, in, in turn, these saints their effort paid off and they were able to see the object of their faith. So I'm asking you and also challenging myself to follow God's example in Christ, to empty ourselves, okay, like God did when he, when he came as Jesus, to empty ourselves of certain foods and activities in order to draw near to God, who's the source of all love, that we might grow to love God more in the new year and to love other people in the new year. So out of this fast, I'm asking you to to give up some food, some activities in order to pray to God and believe his promise that he will draw near to you as you draw near to him. 
And the grace of God is not against us making an effort in our relationship with him. It's against trying to earn something from him. This is not about earning something from God. It's about a desire to love God more fully and subsequently to go outward and love our neighbor as ourself. So with the right plan and mindset, I'm calling you to, to fast as a church to begin our new year shooting for loving God more fully and growing to love other people like Jesus did in elevating them and loving them. Um, on the outside of the office, there is a packet that has a, a little bit of guidance as to different ways you can fast, different things you can fast from. And so you can make a plan. And you can also write down on this sheet what you are praying to God about and believing God for in the new year. And this is a three-week process that has done a deep work in many of you here today uh, that you could testify to. Um, but it's a way for us to open ourselves up using this ancient um, spiritual discipline to, to something new from God, to love him more fully in the new year, to be more people that reflect his love to other people around us. So as, as we are dismissed today, um, the, the team's going to come forward and lead us in a closing song, but these packets are right next to the office, stacked up. I grab one and just begin making your plan. We're going to start January 1st, go for three weeks, and see what God does. But it's all about not letting Advent love Sunday be the end of the story. It's about us growing our love for God, growing in our love for other people, and thus completing what God is calling us to do. So I invite you to that. I'm going to close this message with prayer, and then uh, you'll be dismissed right after the song at the end. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for showing us uh, the most beautiful example of love possible, your self-giving love, where you leveraged all of yourself to serve and save humankind. I pray that we would get lost in the beauty of this truth and that we would become like Jesus emptying ourselves in our own way to elevate, serve, lift up people around us and to share with them the truth of your um, atoning love where you made a way for all of us to be in relationship with you. So Father, as we, get, as we ponder this, this fast, as we ponder loving you and loving others in the new year and going deeper, I just pray that you'd bless every person who takes that step of faith that we would see you do great things as we are waiting for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day when we remember your coming that would just be the start the start that we begin to shoot for the beautiful example of love you set for us we lift all of these things up all these plans and desires in the name of Christ Amen <laughs>